Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Good evening. Let me add my welcome to Paul's. It's great to have you with us tonight. And over the next few minutes, we're going to look together at that remarkable reading from 1 Peter that we just heard read. So if you can, do have a copy of the, the words in front of you, either the Bible or a service sheet, as we look at these words together. Growing up, my family had a tradition which filled me with uh, a huge amount of hope, but also at times a certain amount of despair. I'm talking about the family Easter egg hunt. Uh, you know how these things work every year. My parents used to disappear into the sitting room with a huge amount of chocolate and they used to hide it around the room. And then they used to unleash the four children into the room. And over those next few minutes, the difference between gathering a huge bag full of chocolate and, well, hollow despair, the difference was, was all down to your performance in the room. Nimble fingers and quick thinking and a good eye for detail. And, of course, being the youngest of four and therefore the slowest, you can imagine at times how my hope would at times turn to despair at the end of those few minutes. Tonight, we are thinking about hope. We are thinking about where we can find a firm, lasting hope. And the thing is, I reckon we all have a problem with hope. We had the same problem that I had with the Easter egg hunt, because so often our hope rests on our performance, what we can achieve in the time given us. Now, I should say that um, after my uh, hunt, my, my parents would make sure that all the kids got an equal amount of chocolate so I didn't miss out completely. Don't get too worried about me. But of course, in the big world out there, we don't have the same comfort, the same safety net. And isn't that why we get so stressed by exams and why we lie awake at night worrying about the job interview and why we work such long hours and if we can't make the grades... Isn't it why we feel crushed when our hope rests on what we can manage to achieve? And a hope like that is always fleeting, fickle, and it is ultimately futile. Because as we've already heard tonight, there will be a time for each of us when our, power, our powers, our abilities grow weak. And there will be a moment when each of us experience death. And in that moment, if we are trusting in our own abilities, well, our hope will turn to despair. So where can we find hope? A hope that lasts and doesn't dissolve with everything else into despair. Well, we find the answer in our reading from 1 Peter. And these are are wonderful words. Look at verse 3. In his, that is God's, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As we look at these words together over the next few minutes, Christian, rejoice, for here is the source of your hope. And if we're not yet Christians, we're just here to watch and think and learn, you're very welcome amongst us tonight. As we look at these words, wouldn't you want to share in this hope as well? 
Two questions for us tonight. What kind of hope does God offer and how do we get it? So first of all, what kind of hope does God offer? Peter says, verse three, it is a living hope. We use the word hope all the time, don't we? We, um, we might talk about how we hope that England will win the European football championship. We are expressing a wish. Even if we've beaten Germany 3-2 last night, there's absolutely no guarantee that in a few months' time we'll win the cup. That is an uncertain hope. Or thinking of hope in a different way, a few years ago when we lived further south, my wife Lorna had been saying for a little while, oh, I really hope we could go to the beach one day. And when the next bank holiday came around, we jumped in the car and we drove down to the beach. And it was wonderful. The sun came out. It was even hot. We swam in the sea. We had a tremendous lunch out in the sunshine. It was just perfect. But then, of course, as the day goes on, the sun sinks lower in the sky and the temperature drops and the beach empties and you go home. And the next day at work, as the rain just chucked it down, all it had was memories That is an example of fleeting hope. And it's always the way, isn't it, in this life? No matter what we hope in, no matter how good the relationship or the job or the car or the house, if we hope in these things, it is always a fleeting hope. But Peter says the hope that God offers us is not uncertain or fleeting. No, he calls it a living hope. Verse 3 through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was almost exactly a year ago this weekend down in Hatton Gardens in London where a gang of men pulled off one of the most outrageous robberies in British history. They they drilled through a 50-centimeter concrete wall to get into a bank. You've probably seen pictures of that massive hole punched through that huge barrier. Well, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ punched an even greater hole through an even greater barrier into eternal life. And this, says Peter, is where our living hope comes from. You see, if there is a tremendous hole punched through the barrier that is death, and we know it because of Jesus Christ having been raised from the dead, then it means there is a way for us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus through death into eternal life. And so, says Peter, we have a living hope. It is a hope that lasts forever through the resurrection of Jesus. And look at how certain this hope is. We know it's certain because Christ has already come back to life. And we know it because of Our first reading from Matthew 28, two women who went down to the grave where Jesus was buried, they they saw him raised to life. Or later on, his disciples too saw him raised to life. And and later on, uh, we find that many others also saw the risen Jesus. Many have tried to discredit the resurrection. They've said perhaps that the the followers of Christ stole his body to somehow uh, propagate a myth. But if they knew that the resurrection didn't happen, then why would they be willing to die for a lie? 
Others have suggested that Jesus didn't actually die, but just swooned. But again, how is this possible? The Romans were expert at executing people, and they wouldn't have made that kind of mistake. Now, all the evidence points to a dead man, Jesus, who came back to life. The journalist uh, Lee Strobel has written a very helpful little book investigating all these kinds of issues surrounding the resurrection. We have loads of copies like this at the back on the way out or across the way in, in the foyer. Uh, please do take a copy. They're, they're free if you want to think more about these kind of issues surrounding whether we can trust the resurrection. But Peter says there is living hope. It's certain, not uh, uncertain. He also says it's, it's not fleeting Verse four, Peter says, there is an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Imagine if you're out on a, on a long walk and it's hot and dusty and dry. I, I know it's hard to imagine it here tonight, but just imagine it and your, your lips are parched and you're longing for a drink and your mind races forward to what lies in wait for you back at home in the fridge. And you know that in the fridge there is an ice-cold can of Coke. Or I guess being forward, perhaps elderflower cordial. <laughs> and you just, you just imagine that cool, refreshing drink. Oh, you don't see it yet. You don't have it yet. Uh, at the, in the moment, it's dry and dusty, but you know what lies await, ahead of you at the end. It's certain. It's already prepared for you. I think that is the picture we have in 1 Peter. Our inheritance beyond the grave has already been prepared for us. We don't see it now. We might perhaps see a rather difficult life now. But we know that our future is certain. It's already in place. And one day we will see it with our eyes. And nothing can take away this inheritance. Peter says it won't perish or spoil or fade. Unlike everything else in this world. Not even death can touch this inheritance. And so it's no wonder when Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, if this is the kind of hope he gives us. It is a living hope. But our second question tonight is this. How do we we get this hope? So many people get this question wrong. You see, so many people think that we get this living hope through what we do, through our abilities and achievements. But verse 3 again, Peter says, In God's great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Peter says it has nothing to do with us or what we do. It is all to do with God's mercy. I wonder if you've ever had that experience of going to a party and you find yourself in between conversations. There's no one kind of to talk to you in front of you and it's the introvert's nightmare. Where do you go to next? Normally in a party, after a few seconds, you know, people move around and an opening occurs and you can start talking to new people. But imagine at this party, 
the seconds become minutes and no one turns to speak to you. And then minutes become hours and no one seems to notice you're there at all. And no matter how many times you try to peer in and get involved in the conversation, they shut you out. It would be terrible. But then imagine that this party is actually your party and it's your house and it's your food. Imagine now that for Every year for a lifetime, you've invited the same people back for the same party, year in, year out, and not once has anyone ever spoken to you or acknowledged that you're there. It would be outrageous. And yet, that is what each one of us has done to God. We've lived in his world, we've enjoyed his gifts and goodness, uh, and we have pushed him away. We've ignored him as if he doesn't exist. And this is why we all have a problem with hope. Because understandably, God takes personal offense at how we have pushed him away. And what we've done is put us on a collision course with God. And yet so often I think we are blind to our problem. Uh, just this week, the, uh, the church staff were we're talking about the new church minibus. And we're trying to discuss who should be allowed to drive the minibus. And the, the rather delicate topic came up of how many points we had on our driver's license. And um, as the discussion moved along, and without naming any names on the staff team, it became apparent that I actually had fewer points than a number of other staff members. And uh, very quietly, without making a big deal about it, I felt very smug. I thought uh, I must be a better person. Uh, I didn't quite think this, but God must think I'm a better person. But you know, God doesn't care about points on a license. He cares far more than that. He cares about our attitude towards him. You see, it's perfectly possible to live a very moral life and yet still be completely at odds with God. Just a few weeks ago, on a Monday morning, I was stumbling out of my house first thing, and I, I got onto our street, and I looked left and right, and I noticed that in front of every single house on our street, there was a blue bin, except for our house. And you know what I thought in that moment? I panicked, and I thought, what will the neighbors think? They'll think I don't recycle. <laughs> and so... I rushed back into the house, worried, and I rummaged around, I got the stuff out, and I put my bin out in place along with everyone else's bin. And I thought, look, now I fit in. Now look, recycling's a good thing to do, but not once on Monday morning did I, did I act out of a love for God in that moment. I wasn't at all thinking about loving God. I was thinking about what other people thought of me. You see, we can live brilliantly more lives and yet push God away and so have a tremendous problem with hope our ultimate problem is the very thing we cling on to it's the way we've lived it puts us on a collision course with God but there was one man who truly did live the perfect life who did all the right things for all the right reasons and yet this one innocent man died on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago on the very first Good Friday he died under God's judgment, not 
for his sin, but for the sin of a world that has pushed God away and who are guilty before God. And this is what Peter means when he talks about God's great mercy. You see, we deserve God's anger for how we've pushed him away. But here is an offer, not of anger, but of forgiveness. We don't deserve it, and yet here it is, through the death of Christ in our place. When a a baby is born, how much uh, help does a baby offer in that moment? Well, nothing. The baby's helpless. All the baby brings in that moment is tremendous pain to the one giving birth. Peter talks about how God has given us new birth. What do we bring to this new birth? Nothing. For we are as helpless as a baby. All we bring, we have brought the necessity of the pain and agony of Christ dying on a cross in our place. This is how living hope comes to us. We simply need to trust in God's great mercy the death of Christ in our place. And so, on this Easter Sunday, how should we respond to this living hope? In my gap year, I I worked for a a well-known fast food chain. I don't want to name any names, but uh, the work was hard and tedious and stressful. But there was a bonus for every employee who managed to complete a full shift. There was... The, the, the hope, the prize of being given a free Big Mac meal. Uh, if you've ever eaten such a meal, you'll know that it wasn't much of a hope. In fact, I only lasted four days. But if you had said to me, Pete, if you keep going for a year, then you'll get 10 million pounds, I would have kept going. I would have put up with all the stress and hassle and the heat because hope changes everything. And so Christian tonight, if this is your hope, a living hope, then life might be tremendously difficult. We heard from Lorna tonight some of the things that can go wrong. But no matter what happens, we have a living hope. We know how the story ends. And so even if life is hard, we can rejoice in what God has done for us. Praise be to God. But perhaps for others of us here tonight, we know that we don't have this living hope. I wonder, would you give up seven evenings of your week next term to come along to a course called Christianity Explored? Uh, We meet around tables, we have some food, we have a chance to discuss who Jesus was, what he's done, what he claims, to think about this living hope. We can ask questions, bat it around. Would you give up seven nights next term? I know life is busy, but is there anything more important than working out if this living hope is true?